You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. The first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. If you went on their social medias, I mean, you thought they were young and in love. You thought that there was nothing wrong with them. You saw all of these perfect pictures and perfect laughs and perfect smiles and photos. And it's just terrifying to realize that behind those photos, it was this dark of stuff going on. Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Fanick. I'm sitting far away from Alexis Linkletter and Billy Jensen. And you know what? I'm going to start this episode off by giving myself a little shameless self-promotion. We just, and by we, I mean Lady Gang, my other podcast, if anybody knows me from there, just released our um, Lazy Gang Cozy Sweats collection. So if anybody is looking for cozy clothes, for the winter season, because nobody is wearing jeans or dresses or anything like that, you can head over and shop it at shop.deleadygang.com. Hell yeah. Heck yeah. And the stuff is great. And it's also, it's loungewear so too. cute. Oh, it's, it's so only cute. loungewear. Yeah, I know, but it's just like, it's made for the pandemic. I know. Well, we released our uh, collaboration with Express in the summer of this year, but that we designed before the pandemic. So it was it was a lot of blazers and suiting and festival <laughs> clothes, <laughs> and uh, you know the sweatpants sold out before anything else. So we yeah. wanted to focus in on what people are actually wearing, and I don't ever wear anything other than loungewear. So. That was my vibe to begin with. I saw you modeled all of it. It was perfect for you. Well, that was only because I was the only buddy, only person that was home. But all, but also it's your vibe. It is my vibe. I love cozy clothes all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, Billy, what day is it today? It's National Mutt Day. Oh. And I love a mutt. There's nothing like a good mutt. Who doesn't love a good mutt? Yeah. I just it's love all, all dogs. Yeah. All dogs. All dogs are great. And it's also uh, National Fritters Day. Do you guys like a good fritter? No. I don't really know what a fritter is. It's usually an apple fritter in the vibe that I'm not into. We all know how Alexis feels about cooked fruit. The internet knows. Not into it. Are there any other good days? Honestly, it's one of the safety razor day. Safety razor day? Really, guys? There's no other good days today? Rockefeller Center Christmas tree lighting? Really, you guys? There's no other good days today. Play play basketball day. You guys, it's my fucking birthday. I know it's your birthday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't think about it. <laughs> I was like, why Billy, was if you know it's my birthday, then why didn't you say anything? Because I, it was the joke. I was going through all of these boring ones. Oh, and yeah, then... sure. Yeah, okay. Good right. one. Let's yeah. move on. Okay. I didn't, I, Lexus, I, I didn't just, think I about didn't it. I didn't just literally wrap your present. So. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, Billy, you your comedic time it just proves even more your comedic timing is really bad. You know what? I will you didn't say see this. where I was going with that. On my other Yeah, but that was the point though. You were getting Billy, annoyed. That's I don't know. You're it either, was just embarrassing for everyone. You're either okay. a really bad liar or a really bad comedian. And I don't know which one's worse. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> you know what? I happen to be very, very funny on my other podcast. Okay. So Do you? That's because you're with Paul. <laughs> He's he doesn't seem scientist. like he's, he doesn't seem like he's that uh, chuckle friendly either. <laughs> chuckle friendly. There you go. Uh, yep. Well, Alexis, happy birthday! 
Thanks, guys. Happy I'll be honest. Day. We record these on Mondays, or this is now Tuesday. I don't even know what day it is. I didn't think about the date. But that's I love okay. You. Birthdays don't exist during the pandemic, so I haven't mentioned it to anybody. No, and you know you don't age a, a full year either. No, we're not counting this year. No, no. this this year is done. So, yeah. I also I feel like my age regressed this year, so I might go back. What do you mean? Like I feel like I took a lot better. The one silver lining of the pandemic is I just took a lot better care of myself. Right. Like I rested more. My skin looks. I put on bought sunscreen. I have a skin routine. So it's like I feel like better this year. So I just might age backwards. Yeah. As a gift to myself. <laughs> it's the perfect gift. The gift yeah. of Benjamin Button. I love it. Totally. I'm into it. Okay. Well, that's enough of that. So let's turn down the lights. And turn up the anxiety. Uh, wow. And turn up your anxiety. <laughs> and turn up your anxiety. We're leaving that in. Because this could be you. When you look at someone's Instagram feed or their Facebook posts, you're never getting the full movie of their life. You're getting the highlight reel. The sunset on a white sand beach or a video of a wild night of karaoke. The in-between moments, the mundane reality that makes up the majority of our lives are not included. And neither are the dark moments. The arguments, the heartache. Looking at someone's social media profile gives you only the best stuff. Unfortunately, life is just not made up of all of the best stuff. The moments we're not seeing, the true story of what's really going on in people's lives. And for some, those moments are warnings of something tragic on the horizon. So today's case takes us back to November 21st of 2016. Songs the Greatest by Kendrick Lamar and Don't Let Me Down by the Chainsmokers were topping the radio charts. And movies Doctor Strange and Nocturnal Animals were playing in theaters. And the setting for today's case is Knoxville, Tennessee, which is the third largest city in Tennessee following Nashville and Memphis. And due to Knoxville being a major center of marble distribution in the early 1900s, its nickname became the Marble City. Another fun fact, Knoxville produced country icon Kenny Chesney. And beyond the tangible aspects of Knoxville, another identifying feature of the city is the culture, a relatively large city with a small town feel. Here's Molly, who is our first degree for today's episode and also calls Knoxville home. Knoxville has a lot of smaller communities. So we have a bunch of different high schools where, you know, we have probably about 15, 20 different schools within the community. So even though it's very large of a community, everybody knows everybody, (laughs) especially when it comes to high school. And part of Knoxville's high school culture includes activities that are considered classically Americana, including, of course, football. That is the only thing we do here is football. (laughs) Everybody knows everybody through that way, and especially rival teams. They especially build that game up for weeks, and football is kind of what we live and breathe. And this focus on football was especially present at Central High School in Knoxville. Every Friday night during the fall months, the bleachers surrounding the football field would be packed with spectators. The school's team, the Bobcats, wore red and black jerseys and had a row of perfectly polished cheerleaders rooting for them on the sidelines. This school in the broader community of Knoxville lived, breathed, and talked about football constantly. But in late November of 2016, the focus would shift away from players on the field and towards one of Central High School's cheerleaders. On the morning of November 21st of that year, Jill Walker was getting her morning started, moving through her single-story Knoxville home before making her way to the bedroom of her daughter, Emma, to wake her up. Emma was a junior and a cheerleader at Central High. Jill entered Emma's room and started talking to her, encouraging her to wake up and get out of bed. Emma didn't budge. So Jill moved towards Emma's bed and touched her leg. She was still. When Jill looked at her daughter's face, horror completely overcame her. Emma was blue motionless, cold. A devastating 911 call followed, and in our opinion, it's so upsetting to hear the pain in her voice during this call that we choose not to include it in this podcast. And when the police arrived, there was incredible confusion. Emma was dead in her bed. A teenage girl who was in perfect health, an athlete in perfect health at that. 
She had seen both of her parents the night before, and everything was fine. So what the hell happened? As the police and EMS responders worked to figure out what happened to Emma, the news of her passing slowly began to spread. I woke up. We were on Thanksgiving break, and as I did every single morning, I would get on social media. And just scrolling through social media, I started to see... Emma's name everywhere. It was just a tweet after a tweet. I knew that something something bad had happened. But my immediate thought was that she had, I mean, I hate to say this, but it's either, you know, around here you either think suicide or car wreck. That's just typically what your head goes to when you see people, you know, posting things where you can tell somebody's passed away. Here's the thing. Molly didn't know Emma. But due to how small Knoxville is, she knew of her, and she had friends who were good friends with her. And while Molly hadn't met Emma, she was friends with Emma's long-term boyfriend, Riley Gall. Riley and Emma were both students at Central High. Riley was on the football team. He was a ride receiver who wore the number eight on his jersey. And Riley had noticed Emma once she made the cheer team as a freshman. And he was two years older than her, but they were drawn to each other immediately. Typically, I always is a cheerleader and football player dating just because that's just I guess the southern way we do it here (laughs) it's very Friday night lights here okay back to the confusion of learning about Emma's death I just remember being like this is odd but I don't think anybody actually knew what happened Emma and Riley had been together for two years Emma's social media was peppered with cute selfies of the two of them doing things like paddle boarding kissing and attending parties together As a couple, physically, they were adorable. Emma was a beautiful, petite blonde. She often sported a high ponytail like you'd expect a cheerleader would. Riley was a tall, handsome guy with dark hair and an athletic build. The photos of them were captioned with lovey words plucked from a high school love story, gushing over how lucky they were to have each other. But like most high school relationships, Riley and Emma's romance took an on-again, off-again quality. They had highs and lows, makeups and breakups. So even when they were technically off again, a reconciliation was never far behind. Emma and Riley were that quintessential cheerleader and football player couple that everyone aspired to be. So naturally, everyone looked to Riley, not just to see what he knew about what could have happened to Emma, but also to see how he would react to the news of her death. Following the spread of the news, Riley expressed his grief on social media in a Facebook post, and he also took to Twitter. One of his tweets read, quote, rest easy now, sweetheart. I love you forever and always. And he posted several more times expressing his love and adoration for Emma. And they appeared to be kind of on par with what you would expect from an ex-boyfriend who had just lost his first love. There was actually a note that he had tweeted, and In this note, he talked about, you know, how much he loved her. He he then went over memories. He then went over just so many details. Riley posted a lengthy tribute to Emma on his Twitter. So here's a portion of that. Quote, To think that every memory we have, every special moment we share, can't ever be relived. I love you, Emma Jane Walker. The amount of pain your family, me, the community are in because of this is insurmountable. Every time we held hands, kissed, hugged, to imagine that I'll never have that ever again hasn't quite hit me yet. I'll never forget those times we talked about our future and what kind of dog we'd get and how awesome our family would be. I'll never forget sitting on the couch watching Dr. Pimple Popper and making popcorn and laughing and holding you. You're beautiful. You're amazing. You're funny, compassionate, caring. You're my best friend. Publicly, speculation continued and rumors swirled about Emma possibly taking her own life or dying in her sleep or perhaps an accident. No one was really sure, and the uncertainty left those in the community on pins and needles waiting for information to ascribe some semblance of understanding to this horrible tragedy. As the shock of Emma's death continued to permeate through Knoxville, police back at the Walker home were working to piece together what happened. When police initially entered Emma's home, it seemed at a glance as though Emma had passed in her sleep. Maybe she had ingested pills and taken her own life. Maybe it was an accidental overdose. But when they looked more closely, they found a small amount of blood on Emma's pillow. And when they examined Emma's body, they found where the blood came from. A small bullet wound behind her left ear. 
Emma's parents were horrified and confused. To their knowledge, no one had been in their home. They had said goodnight to their daughter the night before. And this couldn't be a suicide because there was no sign of a gun in Emma's room anywhere. Emma's room and the Walker home became a crime scene. And eventually CSIs discovered a small bullet hole in the wall of Emma's bedroom. In fact, two bullets had been fired into Emma's room. One lodged into her pillow, narrowly missing her, and one struck her head, killing her. When the exterior of the home was examined, they found small bullet holes, very small, the size of the top of a ballpoint pen. There were two casings found outside. In each of these bullet holes were shoulder height. The police ultimately concluded that Emma had been killed in her sleep. The bullet lodged behind her ear was from a 9mm handgun. And it was believed that the fatal shots were fired in the early morning hours. When police spoke to Emma's parents, Emma's father Mark said that he had woken up in the middle of the night to a loud noise. He jolted awake and thought what he heard was maybe a door slamming or or something like that. He actually got up and checked on Emma and her brother. He looked inside each room and his children were still sound asleep. So he went back to bed thinking he must have imagined it. And of course, Mark could never have known that Emma wasn't asleep when he checked on her. She was motionless because she had been killed. So Emma's family was beside themselves with grief. This couldn't be happening to them, the unthinkable. But even worse was the confusion. What monster would want to take the life of their 16-year-old daughter? The police sprung into action and began questioning friends and family about Emma, about her life, and about her final days prior to being shot. And it's then that they get their first clue. Emma's friends and family told the police that Emma believed that she was being watched and stalked. And here's where it started. Apparently, the Friday before Emma's murder, she was at a friend's party celebrating the most recent Central High Bobcats football team win. And at some point during the party, her phone started blowing up. And these texts were coming from a number that Emma didn't recognize. And they were bizarre. This anonymous person said they had kidnapped one of her loved ones. And the person sending the text demanded that Emma exit the house and walk outside to her car alone. They wrote, go to your car with your keys. Go alone. I've got someone you love. If you don't comply, I will hurt them. Then they wrote, we have him now. Then, if you don't care about him anymore, then it shouldn't bother you. Call the police and he dies. Your choice. If you'd like to hear his final screams, give me a call. He's in a ditch beside the house. It's a shame you can all of a sudden not value someone's life. So this is alarming and terrifying and, again, very, very strange. So like any teenage girl would do, upon receiving these messages, Emma and her friends went outside to check things out. And it's then that Emma found her now ex-boyfriend Riley outside in a ditch, and he seemed disoriented. He told everyone at the party that he'd been hit over the head and didn't recall anything. Other partygoers offered to call the police, but Riley refused. Later, he said that he remembered that the kidnappers said to him, call Emma at various points. But Emma and her friends really didn't buy it, at least not at this point. But Emma started changing her tune the following day when she was home alone and a man dressed head to toe in black banged on the door of her house. This guy was completely covered, sunglasses, a hoodie, a face covering, and even more terrifying, this person attempted to get inside the house for several minutes while Emma cowered in terror inside. Emma was so petrified that she called Riley and begged him to come over and be with her. She even said that she was mad at him but needed him anyway. She texted him. The text read, I hate you, but I need you right now. And Riley replied, I'm coming. I'll speed over. I'm speeding there. Just give me a minute. Emma was truly scared, and she texted several of her friends in different group chats telling him that she really thought that somebody was going to kill her. And when Emma's parents arrived at the home, Emma and Riley were out on the stoop. And Emma was terrified. She now really believed that someone was stalking her and someone who wasn't Riley. But here's the thing. Emma's friends didn't think anyone besides Riley could be responsible for any of this that's happening. They believed that it was all a ruse for Riley to get Emma back, just stunts that he was pulling to elicit sympathy with Emma and scare her into turning back to him. And after the break-in attempt, Emma asked her parents to set the security alarm for the first time that anybody in her family could remember. Emma's parents were convinced that Riley was involved in all this, but Emma was certain that he wasn't. And by Sunday night, things kind of started seeming to get back to normal at the Walker house. Emma did some homework, and she went to bed a little after midnight. But by Monday morning, 
she would be dead. This case, which was one of the most strangest cases that the cops had ever seen, just got even more layered and just stranger. Detectives consoled the shattered Walker family and assured them that they'd find out who killed their 16-year-old daughter. And the characteristics of this crime were like nothing anyone had ever seen. The murder lacked the intimate nature of a personal killing. But these shots into Emma's room had to be intentional, which for the most part ruled out the possibility of it being a freak accident or a drive-by shooting. Then there had been these suspicious stalking incidents occurring days before she'd been killed and the boyfriend-slash-ex-boyfriend's possible involvement in these scenarios. The police pressed the walkers for anything else that may help them figure out what happened. And they questioned Emma's friends, too. And over and over again, the same name came up. Riley. Everyone close to Emma suspected him. But based on what? Could this 18-year-old boy be responsible for such a cold and callous act? Emma really believed another man was responsible for the stalking incidents. Could there be any weight to this? They really didn't know. But the police knew one thing. They wanted and they needed to know more about Riley. When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus, and I couldn't practice enough, and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program, and it's available on desktop, or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways, and with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally, first with words, then phrases, and then sentences, and before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first-degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree50 and use code degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. I knew Riley because I went to a, a very large church. So there was people from all over that went there. And 
within that, I became friends with a big guy friend group that all went to his school, and they all did play football on the football team. But you could tell that they knew that they were cool. They knew that they were big shot football players, so they were very flirty, and, you know, that's just how it is. I knew Riley because they would bring, you know, friends in every single time just to kind of hang out and all that, and Riley came in one time with one of their friend groups. Riley became a regular within the group of friends at Molly's church. He kind of just sit back and was really quiet. He would sit with the friend group that he knew, and he would just always sit there with his arms crossed, and it was just always that sense of, like, I'm too good to be here, you know, and I'm too good to do anything. But it was so strange because all of his friends described him as funny and outgoing, and they all described him as a completely different way that I ever knew him as. So now Riley is under the microscope. Riley was enrolled at the nearby Maryvale College, where he continued to play football after high school graduation. He'd been raised by his mother and his grandparents, all of whom he was relatively close to. Riley was an academic and got very good grades. And beyond football, Riley had a lot of friends, loved to play video games, and was described as a class clown type of guy, far from a stereotypical jock. Sounds pretty much like your average 18-year-old. Physically, he was always arms crossed, leaned back in the chair, always a very blank face, just kind of staring around, kind of just watching everybody, what they're talking about, what they're saying. At the time, I just thought, yeah, he's, I guess he's just shy, he's just quiet, he doesn't know anybody. But now looking back, it, it is kind of strange because it's like, why? Emma's friends and family had plenty of opinions about Riley, and most of which were pretty negative. Looking back on Emma and Riley's relationship, they described it as highly dysfunctional. And per Emma's family, it started as your young, average teenage romance. Their daughter was 14 when she met 16-year-old Riley and started dating him. So her parents kept a close watch on their relationship. And at first, Emma and Riley had a puppy love thing going on. But soon enough, Emma started coming home in tears because Riley kept going back to his ex-girlfriend. It was cyclical. Emma would get upset, start to get strong, and start to move on, and then Riley would circle back and rope her in again. But the truth was that Riley was playing both of these teenage girls simultaneously. Emma's parents monitored her texts and social media. Remember, she's 14, 15 years old. And they soon observed that Riley and Emma had intense verbal arguments. And Riley was saying things that were incredibly verbally abusive. So Emma's parents did what they could to discourage Emma from engaging in the relationship. But it was very difficult to control while both Riley and Emma were in the same school. But when Riley left the high school and enrolled in the college, the Walkers hoped the relationship would fizzle out. But neither Emma nor Riley would let the relationship go. However, by the fall of 2016, in the month prior to Emma's murder, the breakup seemed to stick, finally. They all had the typical consensus of they agreed that he didn't want her to have any friends. And the way he was just controlling kind of made it seem like it was kind of impossible for her to have friends. So everybody just knew that, you know, she was being controlled, she was being manipulated, and it it just was what it was. Emma obviously wasn't going to waver for that because I feel like when you're at that age, and everybody's telling you not to do something, it makes you want to do it even more. And I think that was kind of what was happening in a sense. So she's like, well, but he's not that bad. In the first days following Emma's murder, the public speculation was rampant. No one knew who to blame. And this was the most shocking loss this community had ever experienced. And the sorrow and concern was palpable. Remember, in every case, in this one in particular, there are several points of view at play as every murder case is unfolding. Emma's family and friends have their suspicions about Riley, or possibly a stalker. The public hasn't officially learned what Emma's death was a murder, although the rumor mill was moving that information through the town. Then we have Riley, who was publicly grieving and probably pointing the finger at this stalker, and then we have Riley's friends, who are watching Riley spiral following Emma's death. And then we have the police, who of course were thinking who could be responsible in taking all this in and getting their bearings. So no one really knew what to think. They were all just sorting things out. And the police spoke to Riley the same day Emma's body was discovered. 
Riley told them that he had spent the weekend prior to Emma's murder at his friend Noah's house. Who else that knows when you get there? It was just me and him, and then I think it was just me and him all night. I don't remember anybody else showing up. And you said you spent the night? I'm pretty sure I did, yes. Actually, yes, I'm positive I did. I did spend the night. You can't remember if you spent the night at Noah's or stayed at your grandparents? The girl. She texted me. Which girl? The one that passed away. Okay. What, what's her name? Emma. Yeah. Riley admitted that he had tried to engage Emma over the weekend, but she wouldn't bite. But Emma eventually agreed to talk to Riley if he agreed to help her write a paper. She said if I would help her write her paper, she would talk to me. And I used one of my friend's phones on campus to call her. Tell me about this phone call you, you and Emma had. I was crying, and I was trying to get her to reason with me on being back together with me. Mm-hmm. And she just kept saying no. She said she didn't care about the relationship anymore. She said, you need to stop. You're crazy. You need to get a life. I was the phone. Block me. Riley continued and said that he cried for hours about him and Emma's breakup and that he was crushed. He tells them that he loved Emma, and of course, he had nothing to do with her murder. That he's afraid for his life, that the same people who killed Emma may be out to get him as well. And during the interview, Riley seemed to be detached, possibly in shock, but definitely hard to read. So the police, as they are to do, remain very skeptical of Riley. And Riley's friends were taking note of Riley's behavior as well. Initially, Riley seemed to be grieving, and he appeared to be terrified. They were really worried because Riley had actually attempted suicide only a few weeks prior to Emma's death. He had taken a handful of Vicodin and chased it with alcohol and was found unconscious in his dorm room. So, of course, their fear was that his depression could be exacerbated by Emma's death. They were worried he could try it again. And their fears were heightened when Riley confided in them that he had taken his grandfather's gun for protection from the people who Riley believed killed Emma. They didn't want him having a gun because they didn't want him to hurt himself. Their feelings about how Riley was handling Emma's death started as concern for his mental health and well-being. These were their initial concerns about the gun anyway. But then they transformed. Riley was not acting like you'd expect a grieving boyfriend to act. Slowly, even Riley's friends were becoming suspicious of him. Especially two of Riley's best friends, who were named Alex McCarthy and Noah Walton. They commiserated together about their perception of how Riley was acting and how he was taking all of this. And they swapped stories. Alex said that Riley had shown him a gun that Riley said belonged to his grandfather, and that he said he had this gun because he was afraid for his life. Essentially, Riley worried that the same guy or guys who had killed Emma could be after him too. So this was a tough pill to swallow, but they did begin to suspect their friend. And initially, they just thought he was suicidal because he had made the attempt prior. But then, you know, the pieces started coming together. Why does he have a gun? And the police weren't stupid. They were making the rounds and they contacted all of Riley's closest friends. And this included Noah and Alex. And once Alex was questioned, he was honest with the police about the fact that Riley had shown him a gun. And as luck would have it, it turns out that Riley's grandfather had reported his 9mm handgun missing prior to Emma's death. The detectives asked Riley about this gun that he showed his friend Alex, and he denies ever having a gun in his possession. So shit gets real after the police confront Riley about the gun. Riley asked Alex to come over to his house. Once he was there, Alex explained to Riley that he had no reason to hide the info about the gun from the cops. And he questioned why Riley hid this info if he had nothing to do with Emma's murder. He urged Riley to give the gun to the police to prove that he was innocent. It was then that Riley said that he had given the gun back to his grandfather. As the two friends were talking, Riley's mother came into the room and started asking Riley about his grandfather's gun, asking if he knew where it was. So now Alex knew that Riley was lying right to his face. Slowly, the tides had turned. Now nearly everyone suspected Riley as the culprit. But the police needed evidence to prove it. So then I had got on social media later 
and it's almost like a complete shift in all the tweets where it was just anger and like you just kind of started seeing people tweet like we know who you are we know who did this it was just an overall feeling of okay there's something dark going on here and I remember kind of being a little more nosy and I was like you know what like I'm gonna start researching this so it's clear now that Riley is acting very suspiciously and that's because he killed Emma and now his friends knew it Riley hadn't shed a tear over Emma. All he gave a shit about was not going to jail and getting rid of the gun. Alex and Noah, who are two of Riley's best friends, were certain now that their friend was guilty of this. And they knew that they had to tell the police, especially because all Riley could talk about was his desire to get rid of the gun, this key piece of evidence. Not to mention, Riley's grandfather's gun was from a 9mm handgun, the same caliber used to kill Emma. The police knew at this point that Riley's grandfather was missing a gun. They just couldn't prove that Riley was the one who stole it. Alex and Noah, two of Riley's best friends, called the detectives and offered to lay a trap. So detectives wired the two teens up with microphones, a transmitter where police could listen in, and a video camera hidden in a key fob, and they planned out a sting operation to recover the gun used to kill Emma. And when Riley got to the house, he continuously denied killing Emma. And he began coaching his friends on how they could really backpedal out of what they had already told the cops. He suggested that they say that they were on LSD when he told them about the gun that he had showed them. And he told them that they should say that they were high or that they were drunk and that their minds were in an altered state. But I'm trusting you guys, like... With my life, because I mean, this is 70 years in jail. If I get convicted of something, I didn't do it. Because I, I need to get rid of the gun. And the blood. And I'm going to throw it in the water. They will never, they never find it. You guys don't have to come with me if you don't want to. I mean, I'm not too bad, man. I just need this crime to be done. If it goes, if it's in the Tennessee River, they will never find it. As you just heard, after the friends talked for a while, Riley asked them if they could go with him to get rid of the murder weapon. He suggested that they go to the bluffs to get rid of the gun. The bluffs are a densely wooded region situated by the Tennessee River. It's a place they're all familiar with. It's somewhere teens would go to to party. But Riley didn't want to party. He wanted to throw his gun over a cliff and into the water. The three teens got into Alex's car. They stopped at Riley's house. Riley had to sneak into the basement to retrieve the gun. He said he'd hidden it there. And he comes walking back outside, holding a trash bag. Once Riley had the gun in the car, Noah and Alex tried to get him to show it to them. But it didn't work. Riley got weird, and things got tense. So the undercover friends tried to make everything seem normal by telling jokes and singing along with the radio. But it was probably super weird. Riley's time is running out at this point, because detectives from the Knox County Sheriff's Department were trailing them in undercover vehicles and they were listening to everything. The teens pulled over, and Riley was getting ready to get out of the car to dump the evidence. And that's when the police approached. Everybody put your hands out of the vehicle now! What the f***? Oh my god, my... Leave your hands out of the vehicle! The police rushed the vehicle with guns drawn. Inside the car, Knox County Sheriffs looked and found the gun that Riley was attempting to get rid of. It was inside a trash bag that contained other evidence, including a pair of gloves, a pair of sneakers, black tape, and black clothes. Riley was taken into custody and charged with first-degree murder, among six other felonies, including the theft of his grandfather's firearm and the aggravated stalking of Emma. I had pulled up an article from our local news station, and it was a picture, and it said, 16-year-old cheerleader murdered by 18-year-old football player. And then in the photo, it was a picture of Riley and Emma. And I just remember my heart like sank because I was like, there's no way. Like, what? And that's kind of where I started on that, that path of being like, oh, my gosh, like what happened here? (laughs) And then with how small of a community it is, like word travels fast. You know, everybody starts gossiping. Everybody starts saying what they think that happened. And I think to all of her friends, it wasn't really a shock. Nobody was terribly shocked. 
because everybody had seen red flags with Riley all along. But generally, people brush off dysfunction in teen relationships as sort of a rite of passage, something normalized, which is a mistake. In high school, when things go on like this, I mean, around here at least, you typically just, you know, say it's immaturity when a boyfriend or a girlfriend is controlling. It doesn't seem like a serious matter. So I think that's kind of what woke everybody up and to be like, okay, you know, I'm going to start paying attention to my kids' social medias more, who they're talking to, who they're around, you know, what boys they're seeing, what girls they're dating. When you hear of domestic violence, you know, you automatically go to an older aged couple that knows better type thing, you know, but as a teenager, I think what's terrifying is that even me, when I was a teenage girl, like you don't, you don't really think past the bigger picture. You just think, okay, they're being controlling. They're being manipulative, but you know, I still love him because he loves me type thing. This could have happened to me when I got into a bad relationship. It's just, it's terrifying to believe that, it could go to that extent. I think it's made everybody take a lot more things seriously. After Riley's arraignment, he pled not guilty, and the trial would become a national spectacle. When the trial was going on, I mean, people would... Uh, You just saw everybody around was just glued to their phones watching the trial, and people wouldn't miss a second of it. And it was just insane how this blew up, especially with social media. One of the reasons why we were so glued to the trial is because we were like, if he gets out and he gets away with this, what other girl is he going to do this to? And I think that was actually one of the biggest fears was he could do it again more than anything. (laughs) But, I mean, yeah, it's it's been insane. Dozens of witnesses testified. Riley's defense never really denied that Riley pulled the trigger. They instead tried to make the murder seem like an accident. Riley claimed that he was trying to scare Emma so that she would call him and ask to see him, like he had been doing in the weeks prior. During the trial, Riley also denied being the man in black who was stalking Emma. And the prosecution scoffed at this notion. Why would Riley shoot into Emma's bedroom if he wasn't trying to kill her? And also, Riley knew exactly where Emma's bed was oriented in the room, and in the dark of that early morning hour, he aimed for it. And this really begs the question, do we think that this was premeditated? Do we think that Riley intended to kill Emma that night? There's no telling how long he contemplated this. Because, I mean, he even sent her messages when they would get in fights and just be like, I'll see your name in an obituary. This was super premeditated. It wasn't a, it wasn't a, you made me angry, I'm going to punish you type thing. It was a, if you don't want me, then nobody else can. So I'm going to make that happen. I mean, he was, just thinking about that just makes me sick to my stomach. I don't believe it one bit that it was, it was all a accident. I don't at all, because how else would he know, you know, where she was sleeping, the way she was sleeping, what corner of the room her bed was in? Like, if he actually just wanted to kill her, he would have shot outside the house somewhere and just made a noise to wake her up and scare her, you know? And remember that tribute that Riley posted on his Twitter after Emma's murder? Molly thinks that this also points to premeditation. In this note, while everybody's sitting there mourning her death to try to make him look like he's mourning her as well. And the scary part to me is that note that he posted. I think he wrote that before he killed her because the the way that he described her, for him to write that after the fact just goes to show like even how more of a psychopath he is. I've thought this since day one since seeing the note is that he wrote it before he killed her. After closing arguments, the jury found Riley guilty of first-degree murder, stalking, theft, reckless endangerment, and being in possession of a firearm during a dangerous felony. His sentence? Life in prison. Riley spoke at his sentencing. First and foremost, I would like to sincerely apologize to the Walker family for causing nothing but pain and turmoil for their entire family. 
My words may carry little to no value to you, but I found it imperative to let you know the truth. That I'm sorry I took Emma away from you. That I robbed you of the experience of being able to watch your daughter grow up. Again, I'm sorry. I would also like to apologize to my family for the pain and embarrassment I put you through. I love you, and I hope that you can forgive me. I know that nothing I can do will ever bring Emma back or alleviate the pain that I've caused. But what I can do is tell the truth of what happened that night. My intentions were not, and never have been, to cause Emma any physical harm. At times, I was a terrible boyfriend. I caused her emotional and psychological pain during the two years that we were together. But I never once even imagined to cause her any physical harm. My intentions that night were never to harm Emma, let alone take her life. I wanted to scare her, to frighten her so bad that she would have no choice but to talk to me again, to confide in me. I would be there to comfort her and to win her back. I loved Emma, and there's not a day that goes by that I don't think about her or what I did. I know that I can't be forgiven, and this will never be forgotten. But now that the truth is out, I pray that it's enough to show that I never meant to take Emma's life. Molly had thoughts about Riley's sincerity. I think he would have been better off not saying a word. I think that just kind of made it more of a slap in the face. Because in his apology, he's just saying, I didn't mean to. Not even saying how sorry he was. A complete sociopath. A complete narcissist sociopath. Because to be that level of selfish is just, you have to be on a whole other level of narcissist, sociopath, psychopath, everything you can call him. I think even from his friends, all they thought was that he was just obsessive and controlling. And I don't think that even his friends would think he would ever take it to that step. I don't think anybody thought he would ever take it to that step. No one actually saw it coming. It's terrifying to realize that anybody around you, no matter how nice or how quiet could could do something to this extent like that part was terrifying to me because out of all the people that I ever met would I have pinged him as a murderer no like that that part just doesn't sit well with me because it's like how many people do I know that could have intentions like this there's no doubt that Emma's memory lives on in Knoxville Emma's memory lives on forever around here um, her name is is definitely everywhere, and you can still be to this day, you know, mention even the name Emma, and your your head's turned. And it's just, it's so heartbreaking and so bone chilling. It's the way that it impacted everybody is more than, I mean, we even thought at the time was possible. But it's just been a complete life changer for the community. And remember at the beginning of the episode, what we said about social media being a highlight reel. That's probably the most terrifying thing is that if you went on their social medias, I mean, you thought they were young and in love. You thought that there was nothing wrong with them. You saw all of these perfect pictures and perfect laughs and perfect smiles and photos. And it's just terrifying to realize that behind those photos, it was this dark of stuff going on. All right, well, a huge thank you to Molly for being our first degree connection for this episode. If you're listening and you have a story to tell, please email us hello at the first degree podcast.com. While you're at it, you can follow us on Instagram at the first degree at Alexis Linkletter, at Billy Jensen, at Jack Vanek. Uh, make sure to join our Facebook group by searching the first degree in the search bar. We're talking true crime all the time and stick around because we're going to kill sometime. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers. And keep your friends close. But, but not that close. close. Happy birthday, Alexis. Happy, Happy birthday, Fritter Day. Alexis, let's get you a, a cooked fruit. No, thank you. <laughs> Anti-birthday day. Bye. Shout out to Jared Monaco for scoring and sound design for The First Degree. Our producing team, Caitlin Cleveland, Taylor Rogers, and Alan Santiago for Podcast One. 
Research sources for today's episode include WATE, The New York Post, ABC News, Knox News, WBIR, Fox News, CNN, Court Documents, AP News, The Washington Post, and as always, our first-year guest is always our largest source. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. You ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. All right. Well, welcome to another episode of Killing Time. I made sure not to say the. I was conscious in my introduction. It's tempting. It'll always be there, just like in the back of my brain. Looming just above. It's kind of like how you loom in my life, Alexis. That's right. Like a cloud. (laughs) Like your your shadow. We're each other's shadows. And then Billy is just the bigger shadow behind both of us, right? Totally. Exactly. That's totally it. So we're officially like in the Christmas season. Thanksgiving has passed. Um, and I thought because we're in early December that we would do a little gift themed episode of Killing Time because some people are still out there trying to find gifts for their significant others. And I think that the three of us are actually pretty phenomenal gift givers. And I want to mm. just like kind of like dive into that. I love that. Okay. So first thing about gift giving is, is gift giving part of your guys's love languages? Yes. Mm-hmm. Are they, is it high on the love language? Yes. Yeah. What kind of gifts are we talking about for a gift giving? Well, I think the three of us, oh, sorry, my chair's a little squeaky. I'm still at the office. Um, I think the three of us really like to do custom pers- personalized things like have things commissioned or made or hand make things or do stuff like that um which i think we all have in common which is cute yeah i think uh, not going into a store and and just picking something up unless it's something that the person really needed but then that's not really a gift you know it's just sort of too practical too too practical yeah exactly yeah i am not a fan of practical gifts because Mm -hmm. i feel like as an adult we can if you need something, you're just going to go out and buy it. Like if I need a new iPhone cable or a new computer or something, I would just go out and buy it. Though I, some people I think like a practical gift. Didn't Scott Baio for uh, Pamela Anderson's birthday get her a dishwasher? Did he? Like that, yeah. <laughs> That's like the notorious practical gift. Unless I mean, you're like a dishwasher. I would love a dishwasher. <laughs> I don't have one at my house, so... Sounds like a great gift. Yeah. See, that might be a good gift for you. Here's the only reason that I feel like that would work is if you are constantly complaining about not being able to wash the dishes, how you wish so bad that you could wash them in this amazing dishwasher that you've been pining over. Right? Totally. (laughs) And then that's that's the gift that is like keeps on giving because then you're you're just using it for the rest of your your life. So Um, true. So we are like all very personalized gift givers. Do we want to give the listeners some ideas of gifts that they can make for their loved ones? Because a lot of people are budget friendly right now because of COVID and like nobody's spending a lot of money on like expensive gifts. So we should brainstorm some ideas for our firsties to give to their loved ones. I'll do one that I really, I mean, you'll get hand cramps, but I made this for somebody last year. Um, You can pick somebody's favorite book. Mm-hmm. I tried to get Jack to do this with me to make one for Jared. Oh, I tried. She, I'll talk about it. And she tried and it didn't work. 
Um, you can get a book and you can cut the middle out with an X-Acto knife and then you can line the compartment that you cut out with like felt or velvet and make a little secret compartment for like a flask or for like keepsakes. And there's all these YouTube videos about how to do it. And all you need, most people have X-Acto knives at home, but all you need is the book and then glue. a couple of things from Michael's like glue and a like little sheet of vel- you know, velvet or some shit. It's like a $15 gift, but it takes time and patience and you need to do it at least a week in advance because you have to glue the pages together and stack books on it to make it dry properly. But it ends up being this really thoughtful gift, especially if you and a loved one have like a shared love for a book or you know it's somebody's favorite book. Very cheap, very thoughtful thing to do. That's a very cool idea. And it also you can put it in, you can put it in your book. You know, everybody should have a bookshelf. You can put it in with your books and know it's there. You know, and and know that you can just always open it up, but it's not out there. But you know, it's like a little secret. So yeah, it's little, yeah. And if you want to hide things from your loved ones you live with, you just keep it in there, and no one's the wiser. <laughs> yeah. Make sure it's like the most boring book in the world, or something that nobody would dare pick up. Literally, make like not the Bible, but like the dictionary. <laughs> the, the Bible. The Bible's too the obvious. Bible. Someone's gonna buy. Someone obvious. would pick up the Bible. I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's why know? the dictionary. Well, also, like, why would somebody have the Bible on their bookshelf? That seems like a weird bookshelf book. Yes, what, that should, should be, be next to your bed. Should be next to your know. bed or where Elvis had it. Where did Elvis keep it? In the bathroom. Yeah. Oh, did he die reading it? Mm-hmm. Did he All die right. reading the Bible? I didn't know yeah. that. I knew he died on the toilet. That's that's the that's the myth. Um, it's you know some people say that's not true or not like that, but that's the common thing is that he died on the Bible on the uh, on the toilet with the Bible. That okay, is crazy. Well, don't keep your Bible in your bathroom. No. So I tried to do this gift because I, Alexis and I always chat about our gift ideas because we are on the same page, obviously. Literally the same brain. Like thinking of the most random shit at the same time. Yeah. So we were both trying to do this at the same time. And I don't know what YouTube video you were watching and what YouTube video I was watching, but <laughs> I somehow fucked it up so bad. I couldn't get any of my pages to stick together. My exacto knife things were all messed up. I don't know if I'm just like not a meticulous type of a person and I, I'm more like big and creative where I'm not going to cut each page in a straight line. Mm. There's no straight line. I mean, it's hard. It's certainly... A- something to hone like it was not easy i had to obsessively like try to trim it down and make it perfect it took me a really long time to do and my hands like aged i have like arthritis after i did it (laughs) but you listeners will have more luck than me just lotion your hands (laughs) try not to grip the exacto knife too hard because i think that's where i messed up yeah you're just like you're like the grip clenching all my strength (laughs) clenching <laughs> that is a really good g- i never saw your gift, finished yeah. uh your finished product alexis maybe one day you'll see it mm, maybe I will. billy do you have <laughs> what is the best gift you've given billy or a, your best gift well, um you recommendation? Know, you, you know what i would say is that because everyone is still hurting this year there's so many artists out there and artists on instagram uh find you know you'd have, you'd have to do it right now while you're listening to this because it, it the, the commissions are going to get backed up but you know, commission a piece of artwork from some of these great artists out there. Um, everybody can, you know, just spending the money um, small instead of spending the money big. And you could, you know, they're up for it. They're just like, oh yeah, that, oh that's a great idea. And you can make some really really cool stuff, and it's thoughtful and it's it's unique. And um, you you help out an artist, and then you make the person that you're giving with giving it to hopefully happy. Well, and seriously, Etsy is the best place mm-hmm. too for gifts. Like literally. Even if you don't want to spend a lot, I think last year I got Jack a pin that said "Curb Your Enthusiasm," and it was Larry David in a hybrid with Kirby, the cartoon oh my from God, a video it was, game character. It was. It's like, it's like who <laughs> thinks of that? Who thinks of that? And it was like a little yeah. enamel pin, and it was so cute. I think it was like ten bucks. But Jack's obsessed with Larry David and Curb Your Enthusiasm and like puns. So you know it, that was so creative. I know Etsy really has it all, and I think isn't there a website like I think it might be called Fiverr or something like that where you can commission. Or is that the one? Oh, really? Yeah, Fiverr. You can hire people for five dollars to do anything, right? So it's like when you think about somebody commissioning something, you think you're going to pay like hundreds or thousands of dollars for it, but there's so many artists out there that will do it for such an affordable price. Cute little sketch or something that like would mean the world to somebody if it's like an inside joke or something like that. So you don't have to spend a lot to tell people you love them. (laughs) Wow, we're all warm and fuzzy today on the first degree. It's like sounds like it should be an ad for something. (laughs) I don't know. None of these are paid. Yeah, yeah. 
Etsy, please cough up some money for me. Yeah, please. <laughs> and I don't even know if Fiverr is even the right website to do something like that from. Um, do you have any other You also give people I, cute IOUs. I think oh, that is a fun but thing. You mean like, like Jack loves brunch and I hate going to brunch. <laughs> so it's oh. like, it's like I could be like, Jack, I'll go with you to brunch and day drink with you 10 times. You have coupons to pull <laughs> like a fucking... I love you know what I mean? like the coupon idea is really cute. Like you can, if you have a romantic partner, you can do like sexual coupons. Ooh. Um, or they can be just of doing chores. Like Alexis going to brunch is a total chore for her. So <laughs> you can actually love, get me that. For I love brunch. I just don't like to day drink because I work on Saturdays and Sundays. I know. I understand. like I always, always work on the podcast. So I'm like, so if we, you could give me a coupon that's brunch after 4 p.m. <laughs> which is, right now, which is also commonly known as dinner. <laughs> and I can give you a coupon that's brunch before 11. Yeah, I we mean, trade. a brunch after 4 p.m., if we could even go to brunch right now, would be extremely <laughs> sad because it would be dark. <laughs> that is my fucking nightmare. But yeah, I'll well, take coupons. I'll t- I think a coupon's a good gift. Um, I am a very creative person, so I, I always make my gifts. I had a big kick for making Renaissance paintings and photoshopping my loved ones or ex loved ones into them. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> my, I'm into that. It was some of my best work, and I will never see that painting ever again. <laughs> um, but there are a lot of people that do that too, that'll photoshop your faces into like a general's outfit or something like that, which I think is super cute because then you can hang it on your wall and it looks like an actual old vintage painting. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing idea. Yeah. Another cool thing that I like to do as well for gifts is that, you know, living in LA, you can go to these estate sales from like these minor celebrity types, you know, like Ava Gabor had an estate sale and selling all of our stuff, you know, but I remember getting a friend like just something small for their kitchen, just as like, it's kind of a cool thing. You need it in your kitchen and it's something that was from Ava Gabor's house. So those little estate sales, I like to go on eBay and find something uh, that's like interesting and cool. I think, remember I gave uh, Jared last year a... Return of the Jedi, old uh, 1983 Burger King glass. That's I use that for my water glass all the time, Billy. <laughs> it was for yeah. him because I knew he wouldn't have any glasses in your apartment. No, not at all. <laughs> so it's like, it's this only... is going to be his glass. And you well, took it. Jack, Jack has glasses, but they're like perfectly matched, like crate and barrel. Yes. You know, she doesn't have any like junky glasses no. for, that you could take outside and put booze in and walk around with. This yeah, that's true. The, those weird beer goblet stein thingies that you have. Mackenzie Childs. Yeah, yeah they're like $200 <laughs> each. Yeah, they are. They're very, and so not my brand or like my aesthetic vibe at all. But yeah, I, very, I love it. They're very gaudy. Yeah. Very, they're very gaudy. But I don't have any room in my apartment. So I have to use the little room that I have to keep my very nice glasses. And you know what? I just keep breaking wine glasses because of that reason. So, wine but we do... Off. We do have that that glass billy, and that is there are I was looking at vintage Star Wars stuff like that because I'm always looking for a Star Wars gift for Jared. And there's like a lot of affordable stuff on eBay too. Mm-hmm. Yes. There's, no, we'll we can conspire on that. And then a random gift I just got this year. This is just a good idea for all of you. I think it's called Touch of Modern or All Modern. I can't remember which one. Colored toilet paper. Like oh, what an what a fun like novelty. It's 20 bucks. It's really expensive for four. But I'm like, this is fun. I know the Kardashians use only black toilet paper. And I'm like, does that stain this is kind of- areas? No. No, it doesn't. Hmm. I don't have I haven't used it. I got it for other people, but I think it's a fun gift. Mm. That is a fun gift. It's I like that. Classy, like black toilet paper. That is like Batman. That's cool. <laughs> um, one gift that I got Jared, I think the first year that we were dating, that costs absolutely zero money, and it only costs as much as how fancy you want to make it, is you know those, and I found it on Pinterest, but then I like twisted it into my way. But there you can make like the reasons why I love you jars, and a lot of people make them in mason jars, which will cost $1. And then you write like 100 reasons why you love somebody and like roll them up and tie them together with string. But I ended up buying Jared this like really beautiful orb kind of container from CB2. And then I made all of my reasons why I love you on this like beautiful parchment type paper and tied them with little red strings. So you can take those ideas that you find on Pinterest and then kind of mix them up in your own way and take something that might look kind of cheesy and make it cute. That's very cool. 
Jared is spoiled. I got him a drone last year. <laughs> Billy got him a cup. You made him, you spent hours crippling your hands hours. writing tiny things on little p- paper. Jared is spoiled. Jared is a king. He is a king. And he, I think, I don't know if I've talked about it on the podcast before, but he, he's a good gift giver, but I'm also a specific gift receiver where I also want a personalized, very, uh, like me type of a gift. Mm-hmm. And it took him a while to figure that out, but now he's there. But I he's got it now. He did good on your birthday. He did great on my birthday. That's another gift. I'll end with this one. He got me a, a book and it says shit my girlfriend says. And it's a bunch of quotes that I had said over the year because I say some really stupid shit. <laughs> and he and the book he got made at Costco, probably for like 30 bucks. And you just like send in what your pages are gonna be, even if you have like no artistic ability at all. And it was the most personalized, really cute, thoughtful gift that I've gotten in a long time. And it was cheap. Love that. That's fantastic. It's so easy to do, you know? Well, I, I hope that I'm we really gave into this tone. I'm really into this tone we have. Guys, this is like the warm, the softer side of us. Yeah. This is we should flex a little more. <laughs> we, we should flex a little more. Like it's it's so positive and jolly. There are people in those dead looking shells. <laughs> Barely. <laughs> Down. <laughs> Yeah, barely buried there. somewhere in in their cores, but everyone's we come out during the holiday season, you know. Yeah, we do like little fuzzy bunnies, fuzzy bunnies. All right, well, yeah. I feel like we killed enough time. Plenty of time. Fourteen minutes and fifty six seconds. Beep beep boop. You ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today.